Uh, Cassidy Hutchison, she was a longtime aide to Trump Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, and she laid out some damning testimony. Chairman Benny Thompson and Congresswoman Liz Cheney, they laid out exactly preparing folks about for a testimony, but he was still, we were still shocked with what we heard. In our hearings over the previous weeks, the select committee has laid out the details of a multi-part pressure campaign driven by the former president aimed at overturning the results of the 2020 presidential election and blocking the transfer of power. We've shown that this effort was based on a lie, a lie that the election was stolen, tainted by widespread fraud, Donald Trump's big lie. In the weeks ahead, the committee will hold additional hearings about how Donald Trump summoned a mob of his supporters to Washington, spurred them to march on the Capitol, and failed to take meaningful action to quell the violence as it was unfolding on January 6th. However, in recent days, the select committee has obtained new information dealing with what was going on in the White House on January 6th and in the days prior. Specific detailed information about what the former president and his top aides were doing and saying in those critical hours. First-hand details of what transpired in the office of the White House chief of staff just steps from the Oval Office as the threats of violence became clear and indeed violence ultimately descended on the Capitol in the attack on American democracy. It's an important it's important that the American people hear that information immediately. That's why in consultation with the vice chair, I've recalled the committee for today's hearing. As you've seen and heard in our earlier hearings, the select committee has developed a massive body of evidence thanks to the many hundreds of witnesses who have voluntarily provided information relevant to our investigation. It hasn't always been easy to get that information because the same people who drove the former president's pressure campaign to overturn the election are now trying to cover up the truth about January 6th. But thanks to the courage of certain individuals, truth won't be buried. The American people won't be left in the dark. Our witness today, Ms. Cassie Hutchinson, has embodied that courage. I won't get into a lot of detail about Ms. Hutchinson's testimony. We'll show. I'll allow her words to speak for themselves. And I hope everyone at home will listen very closely. First, I'll recognize our distinguished vice chair, Ms. Cheney of Wyoming, any opening statements she care to offer. Thank you very much, Mr. Chairman. In our first five hearings, the committee has heard from a significant number of Republicans, including former Trump administration, Justice Department officials, Trump campaign officials, several members of President Trump's White House staff, prominent conservative judge, and several others. Today's witness, Ms. Cassidy Hutchinson, is another Republican and another former member of President Trump's White House staff. Certain of us in the House of Representatives recall that Ms. Hutchinson once worked for House Republican Whip Steve Scalise, but she is also a familiar face on Capitol Hill because she held a prominent role in the White House Legislative Affairs Office and later was the principal aide to President Trump's Chief of Staff, Mark Meadows. 
Ms. Hutchinson has spent considerable time up here on Capitol Hill representing the Trump administration, and we welcome her back. Up until now, our hearings have each been organized to address specific elements of President Trump's plan to overturn the 2020 election. Today, we are departing somewhat from that model because Ms. Hutchinson's testimony touches on several important and cross-cutting topics, topics that are relevant to each of our future hearings. In her role working for the White House Chief of Staff, Ms. Hutchinson handled a vast number of sensitive issues. She worked in the West Wing, several steps down the hall from the Oval Office. Ms. Hutchinson spoke daily with members of Congress, with high-ranking officials in the administration, with senior White House staff, including Mr. Meadows, with White House counsel, lawyers, and with Mr. Tony Ornato, who served as the White House Deputy Chief of Staff. She also worked on a daily basis with members of the Secret Service who were posted in the White House. In short, Ms. Hutchinson was in a position to know a great deal about the happenings in the Trump White House. Ms. Hutchinson has already sat for four videotaped interviews with committee investigators, and we thank her very much for her cooperation and for her courage. We will cover certain, but not all, relevant topics within Ms. Hutchinson's knowledge today. Again, our future hearings will supply greater detail, putting the testimony today in a broader and more complete context. Today, you will hear Ms. Hutchinson relate certain firsthand observations of President Trump's conduct on January 6th. You will also hear new information regarding the actions and statements of Mr. Trump's senior advisors that day, including his chief of staff, Mark Meadows, and his White House counsel. And we will begin to examine evidence bearing on what President Trump and members of the White House staff knew about the prospect for violence on January 6th, even before that violence began. To best communicate the information the committee has gathered, we will follow the practice of our recent hearings, playing videotaped testimony from Ms. Hutchinson and others, and also posing questions to Ms. Hutchinson live. Folks, the testimony of Cassidy Hutchinson was unbelievable. Um, even what she heard as they talked about what's going to happen leading up to January 6th. We uh, will begin today with an exchange that first provided Ms. Hutchinson a tangible sense of the ongoing planning for the events of January 6th. On January 2nd, four days before the attack on our Capitol, President Trump's lead lawyer, Mr. Giuliani, was meeting with White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows and others. Ms. Hutchinson, do you remember Mr. Giuliani meeting with Mr. Meadows on January 2nd, 2021? I do. He met with Mr. Meadows in the evening of January 2nd, 2021. And we understand that you walked Mr. Giuliani out of the White House that night, um, and he talked to you about January 6th. What do you remember him saying? As Mr. Giuliani and I were walking to his vehicles that evening, he looked at me and said something to the effect of, Cass, are you excited for the 6th? It's going to be a great day. I remember looking at him saying, Rudy, could you explain what's, what's happening on the 6th? Uh, he, he had responded something to the effect of, we're going to the Capitol. It's going to be great. The president's going to be there. He's going to look powerful. He's, he's going to be with the members. He's going to be with the senators. Talk to the chief about it. Talk to the chief about it. He knows about it. And did you go back uh, then up to the West Wing and tell Mr. Meadows about your conversation with Mr. Giuliani? 
I did. After Mr. Giuliani had left the campus that evening, I went back up to our office and I found Mr. Meadows in his office on the couch. He was scrolling through his phone. I remember leaning against the doorway and saying, I had an interesting conversation with Rudy, Mark. Sounds like we're going to go to the Capitol. He didn't look up from his phone and said something to the effect of, there's a lot going on, Cass, but I don't know. Things might get real, real bad on January 6th. Uh, Ms. Hutchinson, Mr. Meadows is engaged in litigation with the committee to try to avoid testifying here. Um, what, what was your reaction when he said to you things might get real, real bad? In the days before January 2nd, I was apprehensive about the 6th. I had heard general plans for a rally. Uh, I had heard tentative movements to potentially go to the Capitol. But when hearing Rudy's on January 6th and then Mark's response that was the first that evening was the first moment that I remember feeling scared and nervous for what could happen on January 6th and I had a deeper concern for what was happening with the planning aspects of it folks talk about shocking and stunning then Cassidy said Trump demanded, demanded he be taken to the U.S. Capitol. And even told the Secret Service, don't even search his followers' weapons, knowing full well they had weapons on them. Let's turn now to what happened in the president's vehicle when the Secret Service told him he would not be going to the Capitol after his speech. First, here is the president's motorcade leaving the ellipse after his speech on January 6th. Hutchinson, when you returned to the White House in the motorcade after the president's speech, where did you go? When I returned to the White House, I walked upstairs towards the chief of staff's office, and I noticed Mr. Ornato lingering outside of the office. Once we had made eye contact, he quickly waved me to go into his office, which was just across the hall from mine. When I went in, he shut the door, and I noticed Bobby Angle, who is the head of Mr. Trump's security detail, sitting in a chair just looking somewhat discombobulated and a little lost. Um, I looked at Tony and he had said, did you effing hear what happened in the beast? I said, no, Tony, I, I just got back. What happened? Tony proceeded to tell me that when the president got in the beast, he was under the impression from Mr. Meadows that the off-the-record movement to the Capitol was still possible and likely to happen, but that Bobby had more information. So once the president had gotten into the vehicle with Bobby, he thought that they were going up to the Capitol, and when Bobby had relayed to him, we're not, we don't have the assets to do it, it's not secure, we're going back to the West Wing. The president had very strong, a very angry response to that. Um, Tony described him as being irate. The president said something to the effect of, I'm the effing president, take me up to the Capitol now. To which Bobby responded, sir, we have to go back to the West Wing. The president reached up towards the front of the vehicle to grab at the steering wheel. 
Mr. Engel grabbed his arm, said, sir, you need to take your hand off the steering wheel. We're going back to the West Wing. We're not going to the Capitol. Mr. Trump then used his free hand to lunge towards Bobby Engel. And Mr. when Mr. Renato had recounted the story to me, he had motioned towards his clavicles. And was Mr. Engel in the room as Mr. Ornato told you this story? He was. Did Mr. Engel correct or disagree with any part of the story for Mr. Ornato? Mr. Engel did not correct or disagree with any part of the story. Did Mr. Engel or Mr. Ornato ever after that tell you that what Mr. Ornato had just said was untrue? Neither Mr. Ornato nor Mr. Engel told me ever that it was untrue. Now, if y'all really want to get a good laugh, Trump actually said, I don't lie. Listen, we're going to show now an exchange of texts between you and Deputy Chief of Staff Ornato. Um, and these text messages uh, were uh, exchanged while you were at the ellipse. Um, in one text, uh, you write, but the crowd looks good from this vantage point as long as we get the shot. He was effing furious. And the text messages also stress that President Trump kept mentioning the OTR, an off-the-record movement. We're going to come back and ask you about that in a minute. But could you tell us, first of all, who it is in the text who was furious? The he in that text that I was referring to was the president. And uh, why was he furious, Ms. Hutchinson? He was furious because he wanted the arena that we had on the ellipse to be maxed out at capacity for uh, all attendees. The advance team had relayed to him that the mags were free-flowing. Everybody who wanted to come in had already come in, but he still was angry about the extra space and wanted more people to come in. And did you go to the rally in the presidential motorcade? I, I was there, yes, in the motorcade. And were you backstage uh, with the president and other members of his staff and family? I was. And you told us, Ms. Hutchinson, about particular comments that you heard while you were in the tent area. When we were in the offstage announced area tent behind the stage, he was very concerned about the shot, meaning the photograph that we would get because the rally space wasn't full. Um, one of the reasons, which I've previously stated, was because he wanted it to be full and for people to not feel excluded because they'd come far to watch him at the rally. Um, and he felt the mags were at fault for not letting everybody in. But another leading reason, and likely the primary reason, is because he wanted it full and he was angry that we weren't letting people through the mags with weapons, what the Secret Service deemed as weapons and our, our weapons. <laughs> but when we were in the offstage announced tent, I was part of a conversation. I was in the I was in the vicinity of a conversation where I overheard the president say something to the effect of, "You know, I, I don't effing care that they have weapons. They're not here to hurt me. Take the effing bags away. Let my people in. They can march to the Capitol from here. Let the people in. Take the effing bags away." Just to be clear, Ms. Hutchinson, is it your understanding that the president wanted? take the mags away, and said that the armed individuals were not there to hurt him. That's a fair assessment. This whole day shows you the sheer 
uh, incompetence in of these people and what they were trying to do, how they were literally trying to overthrow uh, this country with this election. And at one point, this key phrase, blood will be on your hands, was uttered. Sachin said, I'd like now for us to listen to a description, your description of what transpired in the West Wing during the attack. For context, in this clip, you describe the time frame starting at about 2 p.m. So I remember Mark being alone in his office for uh, quite some time, and you know, I, I know we just spoke about Ben Williamson going in at one point, and I, I don't personally remember Ben going in. I don't doubt that he had gone in, um, but I remember him being alone in his office for most of the afternoon, around 2 o'clock to 2.05, Around 2 o'clock to 2.05, you know, we were watching the TV, and I could see that the rioters were getting closer and closer to the Capitol. Mark still hadn't popped out of his office or said anything about it. So that's when I went into his office. I saw that he was sitting on his couch on his cell phone. Same as the morning where he was just kind of scrolling and typing. Um, I said, hey, are you watching the TV, Chief? TV was small, and I, you can see it, but I, I didn't know if he was really paying attention. Said, watching the TV, Chief? I was like, yeah. Said, the writers are getting really close. Have you talked to the president? He said, no, he wants to be alone right now. Still looking at his phone. So I start to get frustrated because you know, I sort of felt like I was watching a not a great comparison, but a bad car accident that was about to happen where you can't stop it, but you want to be able to do something. And I just remember, I remember thinking in that moment, Mark needs to snap out of this, and I don't know how to snap him out of this, but he, he needs to care. And I just remember I blurted out, I said, Mark, do you know where Jim's at right now? And he looked up at me at that point and said, Jim? And I said, Marcus, he was on the floor a little while ago giving a floor speech. Did you listen? He said, yeah, it was, it was real good. Did you like it? And I said, yeah. Do you know where he's at right now? He said, no, I haven't heard from him. And I said, you might want to check in with him, Mark. And I remember pointing at the TV and I said, the rioters are getting close. They might get in. And he looked at me and said something to the effect of, all right, I'll, I'll give him a call. Not long after the rioters broke into the Capitol, you described what happened with White House Counsel Pat Cipollone. No more than a minute, minute and a half later, I see Pat Cipollone barreling down the hallway towards our office and rushed right in, looked at me, said, is Mark in his office? And I said, yes. He just looked at me and started shaking his head and went over, opened Mark's office door, stood there with the door propped open, and said something to the, Mark's still sitting on his phone. I remember, like, glancing at him, he's still sitting on his phone. And I remember Pat saying to him something to the effect of, the rioters have gotten to the Capitol, Mark. We need to go down and see the president now. And Mark looked up at him and said, he doesn't want to do anything, Pat. And Pat said something to the effect of, and very clearly had said this to Mark, something to the effect of, Mark, something needs to be done or people are going to die and the blood's going to be on your effing hands. 
this is getting out of control, I'm going down there. And at that point, Mark stood up from his couch, both of his phones in his hand, he had his glasses on still. He walked out with Pat, he put both of his phones on my desk, and said, let me know if Jim calls. And they walked. And of course, Meadows and Rudy Giuliani. They knew what was happening. That's why they wanted those pardons. One other point about the speech, Ms. Hutchinson. Did you hear that Mr. Trump at one point wanted to add language about pardoning those who took part in the January 6th riot? I did hear that, and I understand that Mr. Me- that Mr. Meadows was encouraging that language as well. Thank you, and here's what you told us previously about that. You said he was instructed not to include that. Who was instructing him not to include language about the pardon in that January 7th? I understood from White House Counsel's office coming to our office that morning that they didn't think that it was a good idea to include that in the speech. That being Pat Zabaldi? That's correct. And Eric Hirschman? Ms. Hutchinson, did Rudy Giuliani ever suggest that he was interested in receiving a presidential pardon related to January 6th? He did. Ms. Hutchison, did White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows ever indicate that he was interested in receiving a presidential pardon related to January 6th? Mr. Meadows did seek that pardon. Yes, ma'am. Thank you, Ms. Hutchison. Mr. Chairman, I yield back. Wow. Let's go into this with my panel. Dr. Mustafa Santiago Ali, former senior advisor for environmental justice at the EPA, joins me. Uh, Demario Solomon Simmons, civil rights attorney and founder, uh, Justice for Greenwood, Dr. Avis Jones DeWeaver, uh, political analyst and author. Okay, Demario, how in the hell, after today's testimony, do you not, does, does Merrick Garland not charge Trump with seditious conspiracy? And these other individuals, I mean, what she described was beyond shocking. I mean, absolutely. He should have been charged. He should have been charged back on January 6, 2021. Only way it doesn't happen is the same way the Democrats never do anything. Uh, they spineless, they feckless, they're weak, scared. This guy should be charged. Metal should be charged. Rudy Giuliani should be charged. Right now, this is all about show entail. What I want to see is the Department of Justice executing arrest warrants, indicting these individuals, having them in court, and let this evidence come out in a court of law where there can be some real serious ramifications. Anything short of that only emboldens these rabid dog-like individuals even more to continue to do the illegal criminality, and they will make sure they are successful next time, not like this last time. Um, what's interesting here, uh, Avis, um, just a few moments ago, um, uh, Peter Alexander with NBC said a source close to the Secret Service tells me both Bobby Engel, the lead agent, and the presidential limousine SUV driver are prepared to testify under oath that neither man was assaulted and that Mr. Trump never lunged for the steering wheel. Now, the U.S. Secret Service did put out a statement saying the U.S. Secret Service has been cooperating with the Select Committee since its inception in spring 2021 and will continue to do so, including by responding on the record to the committee regarding the new allegations surfaced in today's testimony. I can't imagine, Avis, uh, this committee not 
this committee allowing that testimony to go forward and not having the receipts to back it up? Yeah, I, I can't either. Um, but w what we see here is damage control in real time. Uh, you know, who knows everything that is going on in terms of all the people behind the scenes um, that in some way are looking to kowtow to someone who is using his power as a threat against so many people. Uh, it's really interesting to see uh, history in real time with regards to uh, Trump's sort of mobs-like behavior uh, that continues to put him in situations where no matter what he does, he can find people to fall on the sword for him. He can find, find people who are willing to go to jail for him. He's promising to help people or promising to hurt people, depending upon which side uh, of the line they fall on, either for or against him. As thorough as this committee is, as you've mentioned, it's hard for me to believe that they would allow something out in public testimony that they don't have information to back up in some way, shape, or form because they understand that their credibility is on the line. And so it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. But what we saw today was still ground shaking. And let me tell you, that's there's more to come. Mustafa, again, this is thuggish behavior. Uh, this is a man who was held bent on overthrowing uh, this government. In fact, uh, there was even a, a particular clip, y'all get that ready, uh, where uh, Hutchinson testified uh, that um, Trump had no problem for them hanging Mike Pence. Here's some of that. I opened the door to the dining room, briefly stepped in to get Mark's attention, showed him the phone, like flipped the phone his way so he could see it said Jim Jordan. He had stepped to where I was standing there holding the door open, took the phone talking to Jim with the door still propped open. So I took a few steps back. So I probably was two feet from Mark. He was standing in the doorway going to the Oval Office dining room. They had a brief conversation and in the crossfires, you know, I heard briefly like what they were talking about, but in the background, I had heard conversations in the Oval dining room at, the, at that point talking about the hang Mike Pence chance. That clip ended, Ms. Hutchinson, with you recalling that you heard the president, Mr. Meadows, and the White House counsel discussing the hang Mike Pence chance. And then you described for us what happened next. It wasn't until Mark hung up the phone, handed it back to me. I went back to my desk a couple minutes later him and Pat came back, possibly Eric Hirschman too. I'm pretty sure Eric Hirschman was there, but I'm, I'm confident it was Pat that was there. Um, I remember Pat saying something to the effect of, Mark, we need to do something more. They're literally calling for the vice president to be effing hung. And Mark had responded something to the effect of, you heard him, Pat. He thinks Mike deserves it. He doesn't think they're doing anything wrong. To which Pat said something, this is effing crazy. We need to be doing something more. Briefly stepped into Mark's office. And when Mark had said something, when Mark had said something to the effect of he doesn't think they're doing anything wrong, 
You know, President, uh, the person we used Stop. to label... I mean, I mean, Stop, this is nuts. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I was just going to say, let's just truly unpack what this is. You know, uh, Trump saw himself not only uh, as the label of a president, but what we're finally seeing uh, sort of play out in front of everyone is an American dictator. You know, an American dictator, a ruler with total power over a country, simply one who has gained...
Shaking to you, but I'm willing, willing. 